0: Hey, welcome everyone to our summer series. Uh, It's fun to see more people at our campuses every week. Shout out to you all. If you're joining us, maybe for the first time, some of you, uh, or first time in a while. And if you're online, welcome. So glad you are with us, Uh, maybe on vacation, wherever you are. Let me begin with a really uh, serious question, okay? How do you deal with failure? Let me ask you another one. Like, do you have anything in your life that's making it really hard right now? Like, just makes your life really hard. And, and how do you keep following God when it's hard? I got one more. How do you live a life that's, like, really fulfilling? Like, really fulfilling when life keeps throwing at you stuff that's unexpected and unwelcome, Right? you got to agree, these are are questions that we all want answers to, and we're going to get answers to these this summer. We're going to dig in. We're going to get answers to these questions and a whole lot more. We really are, and we're going to get it from one of the greatest leaders in world history. We're talking about Moses, and that's what this series is about. We're calling it an M-O like Mo. Now, you know what a... An M.O. is, right? It's like a modus operandi, right? Your, your mode of doing things. And, and so your M.O. is just how you live your life. It's the, it's the default mode that you have. Like, how, how do you do stuff? And Moses had an M.O. So you see where we're going with this? It's like, M.O.'s got a M.O. You see it? Get it? Okay, whatever. But, you know, his M.O. was interesting. You know, sometimes he's bold, you know, and brave and courageous. Other times he's just a big wimp. There are times when you see Moses make these brilliant leadership decisions and there's other times Moses just makes the brain. It's like, what are you doing? There are times when he has big faith in God and there's other times he's just like, he's got these huge flaws. In other words, Moses' MO is a lot like our own. Our own way of doing things, right? So we're going to look at that because through looking at his story, this, great, this man who becomes this great man of God, we learn how to deal with failure. We learn how to find a fulfilling life when life is hard and keep following. We learn all the answers to these and so many more questions. And I think I'm really excited about this series. We're going to do a, a deep dive into the life of Moses. We're going to look at a lot of scripture. And I think you're going to be very encouraged because as we're studying Moses' life, whatever you think of him now, you're going to discover, wow, it's a lot like looking in the mirror, actually. And there's so many parts of his story that will help us know how to live our life. And at the end of the day, Moe's MO was just to live his life 100% for God. Like he didn't always do it, but that was his MO. That's what he wanted to be about. And that's exactly what God's calling you and me to as well to live our life 100% for God. And we're gonna be better able to do that by hanging out with Moses. So that's what we're gonna do over the next several weeks. I hope you'll be here every week. If you can't be with us, join us online. I don't want you to get behind. The story builds on each other. So let's dive in and here we go. When you start talking about Moses' life, it's been pointed out that his life kind of falls into three 40-year segments. It's interesting. The first 40 years of Moses' life he basically lives as a prince of Egypt, living in the palace in Egypt with the pharaoh. That's where we're going to focus today on how the story of how his Jewish mother, Jochebed, is forced to give him up. He's taken in by the pharaoh's daughter. grows up in the palace. He, he learns to walk like an Egyptian, right? But, but then um, he sees the cries of, of his own people in slavery there, and he, and he kills a man, and suddenly he is running for his life, which leads to the second 40 years of Moses' existence and that's where he lives as a fugitive in a place called Midian which is him hiding in the desert basically. We're going to talk about that next week. This shift from the palatial palace on the banks of the Nile to the middle of nowhere a little hut in the wilderness instead of leading being prepared to lead a nation of Egypt he's now just herding some sheep that belonged to his father-in-law in utter obscurity. But while he's out there, God doesn't forget about his people. He doesn't forget about Moses. In fact, he visits Moses one day. We're going to talk in another week about that burning bush experience. And God says to Moses, I hear the cries of my people. I'm going to deliver them. And Moses, I want to do it through you. Which leads to the third, the third sort of segment of Moses' life, which is where he becomes the great leader of God's people, guiding toward the promised land which takes him back to the palace in Egypt, right to the Pharaoh, where he says, God says, you got to let my people go. And Pharaoh says, I don't think so. And then you get the plagues and you get the firstborn dying. And then Pharaoh finally says, go. And then they go. But then Pharaoh chases them and you get the Red Sea and Moses parts the Red Sea and they go through and the Egyptians die. And the rest of his life and most of the book of Exodus is about Moses leading God's people toward the promised land. And you get manna from heaven. You get all these episodes like water from a rock. You, you, get, you get the Ten Commandments. You get the golden calf. You get the tabernacle and all these lessons about how to deal with failure and how to have a fulfilling life and how to keep going and following God when it's hard. That's the flow of his life. Egypt, wilderness, Egypt a promise line. Someone kind of wisely said, you know, if you look at those three, it boils down to this. For the first 40 years of his life, he thought he was a somebody. The second 40 years, wow, he learned he was a nobody. But the third 40 years, he discovered what God can do with a nobody. And that's why this is such a great story, and it's our story. Now, we need to, we need to back up a little bit and do a little background here, okay? Um, remember, we keep talking about this. He was the prince of what? Where? Egypt, right? He's helping God's people, Israelites, escape from where? Egypt. But did you ever stop to ask yourself, do you know, how did the children of Israel, God's people, end up being slaves in Egypt? How did that happen? I thought they were from Israel. Well, if you were here last summer, some of you will remember, we did this really cool study on the the character of Joseph, and that's found in the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible. Exodus is the second, where we'll be this time. And the book of Genesis is really just about God creating and then seeing how because of sin we all got messed up and he needs to bring us back to himself. And so he does it by going to a a man named Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless you and you're going to have a family that's going to become a great nation. It's going to spread and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. And those 12 sons become heads of their own family groups that later become the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of those sons was the name Joseph. Joseph, um, his brothers get upset with him. They try to do him dirty and uh, sell him into slavery. And he gets carted off and they think he's gone. They tell his dad he's dead. And they all kind of go on with their lives. But what happens is Joseph winds up a slave and guess where? you got it egypt but by the providence of god he keeps finding favor with the government and he gets promoted from job to job job until he ascends to be the second highest in command just next to the pharaoh himself the prime minister of all of egypt and one of his jobs is to keep track of the food in the storehouses and distribute it fairly which is important because decades after his brothers sold him into slavery there's a terrible famine all across the land, and they get so desperate, they go all the way over to Egypt and go marching up to guess who asking for food. They come into Joseph's presence, and they don't know it's him. But he recognizes them, and an amazing dramatic scene that's like fit for you know, reality TV or something, he reveals, I'm your long-lost brother. You tried to sell off, but don't worry, I'm not mad. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And they have this incredible reunion and Joseph is so loved by the Pharaoh that Pharaoh says, just invite your whole family, all 12 tribes to come over here and live with us here in Egypt. And that's exactly what happens. They load up the U-Haul, they go back and they bring all their stuff. And that's how the children of Israel end up in Egypt. And everything went great for about 75 years. But then the book of Genesis ends in chapter 50 with Joseph dying, right? And meanwhile, as you begin Exodus, it says the Hebrew people, they just kept multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. Pretty soon they're everywhere. The whole land is filled with them. And verse 8 and following says that a new king came along sometime later, right? He didn't know anything about Joseph, never heard of him or what Joseph had done. All he sees is all of these Hebrew people multiplying and and he's getting concerned. He's like, this is getting scary. There's more of them than there is of us. We got to nip this in the bud lest they revolt or come against us or something bad happens. So listen then to this description, which ought to give us chills of reminiscence about how horribly humans can sometimes treat each other. And it's a horrible part of the history of not only Egypt, but of our own. Exodus chapter 1, verses 11 to 14. So, the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So, the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all of their demands. This kind of horrible, abusive slavery goes on for about 300 years. And that's the amount of time between the end of the book of Genesis and the beginning of the book of Exodus. In fact, it gets so bad that one of the pharaohs, Thutmose I, made a decree that every male baby that was born to the Hebrews should be killed. He told the midwives, as you're helping deliver the babies, if it comes out a girl, it's fine, keep it. But if it's one of the boys who could grow up and serve in the army kill it. Meanwhile, tucked away in a back slum of Egypt somewhere, there's this obscure little Hebrew family. A man named Amram and his wife, Jochebed. They've got two kids of their own, Miriam and Aaron, and now Jochebed is pregnant in the middle of that horrible decree. Somehow, she conceals her pregnancy, but in due time, she gives birth, and this time it's to his son. She continues to hide that baby, of course, right? But she knows she can't keep it up for, forever. So it says this in verse 3. When she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch, and she put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister, that would be Miriam, right? Then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. The next five verses describe exactly what happened. You know, this woman was smart. She brought the baby down there. At the time, she knew the Pharaoh's daughter would be taking her Tuesday morning bath or whatever. And sure enough, she comes down there and she sees the basket. She says, go get that. And someone brings it over and says, it's a baby. She says, this must be one of the Hebrew children. And, and, and the sister, Miriam, is watching this nonchalantly and says, Oh, Miss Princess, um, would you like me to go find some Hebrew woman who could nurse that baby for you? And please do, the princess replies. And the girl, Miriam, goes and gets her own mother, the baby's mother, Jochebed. And, and the princess says, Yes, take this baby and nurse him. I'll pay you for it. And so here she is now, Jochebed, raising her own baby and nursing him. And later in verse 10, it says, When the boy was older... His mother knew that was over, and she brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. And the princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. That's the origin story for for Moses. You know, an origin story is is that story of your, your birth, your beginnings, like what stuff you how you got here and and, and the stuff you overcame. And we all have an origin story, and they really matter because origin stories help us know as we think about our birth and our upbringing. It tells us, you know, who am I? And do I matter? And do I have a purpose here? You know, Am I loved? Why, what, what, what what am I doing? That's why one thing we did in our family when our kids were little, we would at their birthday dinner, we we'd tell some of their origin story. We'd tell funny things that happened when they were born or the circumstances around Nathan. You know, you were a funny kid. You were always upside down in your mommy's belly. You know, it's funny. We tried to turn you, but you you wouldn't have it. You know, and you're still kind of you got your head on straight. You know, and Andrew, we'd tell him, you know, you came out with such a pointy head. You gave your mother such fits. Twenty four hours of labor. Wow, what a pain you were. Your your poop was all tarry you know you were but boy you're sure worth it you know Ellie we'd say oh Ellie Ellie you know you were late which is probably why you're late now all the time you know and people loved you so much. They gave you so many clothes from the Mountain family. And, and uh, uh, you just grew up a, a special, cherished little child, you know. And, and when I think of those stories, I, I, I'm kind of thinking about our friends Zach and Hillary McClellan here from our staff team. They, they're, they're expecting little baby Claire. And I'm telling you, she's all of our baby. We're all over this kid. And, you know, Hillary has done such a great job being pregnant that she makes it look almost easy. But I know it's not easy. And to prove the point, we did a fun little experiment experiment with her husband, Zach, and so check this out. <laughs> Love that, the little uh, tender hug at the end there. Uh, You know, I I think that's probably pretty close to reality, actually. I don't know. He struggled a little bit. Is it as hard as they made it look? Come on.
1: I mean, you know... <laughs> it's awkward and painful and yeah but beautiful and good all the all the things
0: everyone th- this is the lovely uh hillary who waddled out here during the video yep, yep. very much pregnant and we're glad we're able to have this conversation Yay. before you run off to the hospital but honestly in all the joking about you know and talking about origin stories and birth mm. and um pregnancies and childhood it's actually a pretty tender topic
1: it, you know, it really has been, and I'm first and foremost just humbled and honored to share the little bit of experience, you know, that what we're walking through right now, but it is so, it's so tender. You know, we've been praying for this baby for a long time, hmm. and I know uh, many friends who are are still praying, you know, or who are walking through hmm. uh, infertility, the heartbreak, of miscarriage, uh, friends who are feeling, you know, some some stress post-abortion, right. um, people waiting for adoption placements or people reflecting back and the choice to, to put their child up for adoption. Uh, you know, there's people who are foster parents in the room, people who never want to be parents. And, you know, many of us have strained relationships with a parent. And so it's it's messy. When we reflect on childhood, it can bring up a wide variety of emotions and pain. And so we just want to be gentle and hold mm-hmm. space for that. and, and have grace for one another in that. But it just reminds me, if anyone was born into trouble, it was Moses. It was Moses, <laughs> it was and
0: Moses. if you if you have some of the things going on in your mm. life that Hillary was talking about, that's what this church is here for, mm. you know. Even someone wrestling with post-abortion stress or considering abortion, you know, we, we wanna help, we wanna talk mm. you through that, we wanna help you if you've got any other things like mm. that going on. So be sure to, to reach out to us so we can help you. But you know, um, you're, you're right. Um, Moses, I think we called this sermon "Born into Trouble" yep. because you talk about, it, you know, here he is—he's he, poor, he's a slave, and there's a law that says you got to kill all the babies. This is a very volatile situation. He's it, into.
1: it really is. And like I said, I'm not an expert, <laughs> but everything I'm reading and what people are telling me—you know, babies—they need yeah. care. You know, they need to be fed, they need sleep, they need to be changed, they need to be held. Like, ultimately, they need stability and love and warmth. Yeah. They need to know that they're safe. Mm-hmm. And Moses' world was not safe.
0: Right. So, you know, he was like born at the wrong time. Mm. But, but he has something else going for him. He does. He's got his mama, mm-hmm. Jacobet, and she's a remarkable woman.
1: You know, she really is. And you know, as a first-time mama, uh, expected mama, I just can't imagine like what she must be feeling and thinking. I can relate to like normal levels of anxiety around ah pregnancy and ah delivery could happen <laughs> any moment. Uh, you know, in in parenthood, oh my goodness! But what she was feeling was just a whole other level of mm-hmm. desperation. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, just a whole other level, Um, you know, from the moment we found out we were expecting our prayer. You know, my prayer was, "Okay, God, (laughs) this is your baby. Protect this baby. Mm -hmm. This is your baby. Protect this baby. And I know that's what Jacob must have been praying to. Yeah.
0: Which is the only way you can explain a mother actually Mm -hmm. taking her baby. Putting it in a basket Mm -hmm. and then leaving it.
1: Yeah. And it's heartbreaking, you know, like I can't even fathom that, but it was the biggest act of trust in God that she's ever had to do. It was a Mm. huge act of surrender, like putting this baby in in the banks of the Nile. Right. And she already had to keep the baby hidden. She had to keep a pregnancy hidden. Like, how do you do that? Like you saw me waddle (laughs) out here. (laughs) You ain't hiding uh, it very well. You know, like, I mean, (laughs) everyone knows they see me coming, Uh, but then keeping, keeping a baby hidden, like babies cry. Right. Right. And it's not like they're out in the country or have soundproof walls. I mean, they're enslaved. They're being watched. They're, you know, on top of each other, living in huts. And then you got two older siblings that got to keep a <laughs> secret, too. Like, I don't it's know how hap- you do very, it. It's really difficult. Uh, but it was more than just keeping it hidden, it was the real sense of this baby's life's in danger.
0: Danger, yeah.
1: Like, if someone finds out he's dead, and what's going to happen to Jacobet? Is she going to die, too? What about the rest of her kids? It's like, oh my goodness.
0: It's so stark so when you put stark. it in those terms. That's exactly what was going on. And it's a good reminder for us mm-hmm. that there are families all over the world that actually live with that reality mm-hmm. every single day. You know, they want nothing more than to protect their child, but they they don't know if they're going to be able to protect them from the streets mm-hmm. or, or or from the elements or from just the world getting them kind of thing. And this it has to be what's going through Jochebed's mind.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's close to home too, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's everywhere. And, you know, so... Uh, like we talked about earlier in the text, you know, Jacobed comes up with a plan. She's a wise woman, and she trusts Yahweh, her God. Uh, she's surrendering, and she's coming up with a plan. And I think it's a really strategic plan. You know, like uh, she's praying and she's hoping it works. But she she knows she's got to put this baby somewhere safe. Mm-hmm. She makes the basket waterproof. She puts it in the re- in the you know the reeds and the marsh of the Nile, somewhere where someone can find this baby. Find little Moses, who's going to have the power to show mercy? Not any. She doesn't want just anybody to find this baby, right? right? When you think about it, if it's another Egyptian or another Hebrew, you know, no. Someone's got to have power to show mercy here,
0: huh.
1: and that's the beautiful gift of it, it's Pharaoh's daughter. She does have the power to do that. And she chooses to do that. She shows mercy and says, oh, this beautiful baby boy, I can take care of this boy. And then if that isn't, you know, enough to celebrate about, you've got Moses's big sister, Miriam like watching in the marsh grass. (laughs) I can just picture her, you know, oh, excuse me. Like, that's a bold thing to do, to go up to royalty. Excuse me, (laughs) Um, would you like me to find someone to nurse this baby for you? It's, it's the mom, <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to tell you that, you know, but what a beautiful picture of just, of just God's faithfulness. She had to surrender, mm. you know, and it could have turned out different, but, but God was faithful here in this way. And, and
0: so really this strange, thing. here she is, mm-hmm. Jochebed is now raising her own mm-hmm. baby, which means that Moses then grew up with his own mother who taught him about their God. And their faith, she, in those impressionable years, mm-hmm. she is pounding the faith into him in a way that we see this great leader later, you know it goes back yep. to those formative years. That's what every parent wants, is to build faith. And you see it in Moses, it gets them through incredible stuff. Later, I think it's because of those formative years.
1: I think so too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's, there's great stories mm-hmm. here from Moses' life. Let's talk about some yeah. of the things that are in here.
1: There, there's just so many things I don't want us to miss that are really, really important. I think first and foremost, when we look at Moses' life, and we look at the entire book of Exodus, it's all about a God who hears our cries. It's about a God who feels our desperation. Mm-hmm. It shows us that God is faithful. God is a rescuer. God is a deliverer. You know, we're gonna see that through the whole book. We're gonna see that through this whole story in this series. We first see it here with a baby being pulled out of the mm-hmm. uh, out of the basket, out of water, and God's deliverance shows us a clear picture that God can be trusted. Mm-hmm which I just think is so beautiful. And it it makes me think about surrender, how Jacobet surrendered all she had to God. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in a desperate situation, because when we're desperate, which all of us find ourselves desperate at one point or another, that's what we want to know, right? Like, can God be trusted? Can I really trust God? Is God really here in this with me? And we have this woman who says, yeah, God can be trusted. God can be trusted so much so that I'm giving him what I care most about in this moment. I'm giving him my child, and I'm trusting that God's going to be faithful. So she puts him in the hands of God. She puts him in the basket in the Nile River, and we see God show up. And It just reminds me this, that a real relationship with God means surrender, right? We we can't have...
0: There's no way to have a relationship with God without that element.
1: Absolutely. There's no way to have a relationship with God without surrender. And you got to surrender over and over and over again. And sometimes we hear surrender and we might think, oh, that's about winning or losing. No, no, no. Surrender is about where am I putting my trust? Hmm. Because I can't do it on my own. Where am I putting my trust? My trust is in God. And so we got to ask ourselves. I got to ask that to myself. Like, what does it look like for me to surrender? Hmm. What does it look like for you to surrender? You know, Hmm. all the things you love the most, all the things you hold tightest to, all the things you want to control. What does it look like if we are to take those things Put them in a basket, you know, putting them into God's hands. Um, and sometimes we've, we've heard that before, right? For going through something hard, like, oh, it's in God's hands, which is true, but could sound um, empty or like kind of platitude or flipping. Yeah, yeah it minimizes yeah, yeah. it. No, no, no. But there, there's something real here, you know, when you choose to say, okay, God, I, I got to let this go. Okay, God, it's yours. This is my everything, and I'm putting it into your hands. Mm. That's the
0: beautiful act of surrender. That's a a Mm. powerful prayer of surrender Mm. right there. Hillary, you mentioned earlier how we all know that when children are, are come up there, they need to, if they're going to thrive, they need certain things. Mm-hmm. They need, uh, which you could just call stability. They, right. need, they need that. that. And, and yet, here's Moses who's like literally floating down a river wow, in a basket, yeah. right? And all this other crazy stuff that's happening in his life. He's getting passed around between these different places he lives and everything. So, you know, and I think there's an element that every one of our childhood we can look at and say, you know, I had elements mm-hmm. of my childhood that were a little mm-hmm. tough. And I've heard you talk about your childhood. Part of the reason uh, I've, I've invited you here, as you know, is is to hear. Would you share some from your childhood as you think about some of the instability and how God was at work in it?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Ben. You know, it's it's a little beautiful and a little ironic. You know, 20 years ago, uh, my childhood was rocked by instability. You know, it was safe, loving, good, and full, and just. And then there was a moment like, oh some things changed and the ironic piece is like oh 20 years later we're we're expecting life like new life to be born this beautiful baby girl can't wait to to meet her and all the joy and excitement that we're feeling for that me personally I'm feeling for that it's it's mixed with some grief and mourning reflecting as we've just hit the milestone of um, of 20 years since my dad's sudden death and you know, I, I reflect back and I think about that day and, you know, I'm eating French toast for breakfast. I'm playing with my sister. I got a dance recital later that afternoon. And then in a moment, you learn that there's a moment time ends, that death is a real thing. And you look at Moses' life and there's going to be a moment his life changes. He's going to leave his home. He's going to go to the palace and the palace is going to be beautiful and it's going to be full of all these great things. You know, he's going to have every physical need met you know, all the wealth and resources at his disposal. I'm sure Pharaoh's daughter loved him mm-hmm. as her own, but he knew his people, you mm. know, he knew his God. He saw his people still enslaved. And I can't imagine that tension and turmoil. On the outside, it probably looked good, but on his heart, I'm sure there was an ache there. And, and we see that play out in the next couple weeks through this series. Uh, but it's a reminder that all of us Every single one of us are born into some trouble or are facing some trouble in our life along the way, whether that is death of someone you love or a divorce or abuse of any kind, neglect. Um, sometimes it's just wondering, okay, where, where is home tonight? Mm-hmm. Where am I going to rest yeah. my head? And even the most polished families on the outside can have lovelessness and loneliness on the inside. You know, and, and loneliness was probably the biggest thing that I experienced after my dad's death. Mm. Um, just that feeling of loneliness and sadness. Uh, but by the grace of God, I had a mama a lot like Jacobed who who prayed a very similar prayer. Her prayer was, "Okay, Lord, don't let me mess this up," which is which is funny, but so true, right? Like, "Lord, don't let me mess this up." Uh, that's a prayer she prayed over me and my sister. Um, over and over again. And I know that because she's, she's told me that. And I can just see Jochebed saying that too. Okay, Lord, I'm putting them in a basket. Don't let me mess it up. Uh, and through, you know, God's grace and my mom's wisdom, she surrendered us, right? She released us into God's hands. And we had a great community mm-hmm. of family and friends and church that offered support, you know, but I was still sad. <laughs> I was still lonely. I still had some anger. You know, I, I put on the strong face, you know, mm-hmm. try to be strong, try to be, tough but most of my childhood and teenage years were just suppressing those feelings mm. not wanting to deal with it um, mm. I wanted to hold all that close to me right I was not ready to surrender that all on the outside it looked fine but I was I was holding close to those things that anger mm. uh, especially toward you know towards God and um uh, you know it wasn't until adulthood when I had some own personal stability you know, things are going well you know that it was like, okay, it's time to look back. It's time to press in. It's time to do the hard work of grief. And, and I'd be lying if I said that I wanted to do that. <laughs> it's actually, it's a funny story for another time of just the way, you know, anxiety in your subconscious and your body works to, to, to go back and to face trauma. And uh, it's been the hardest work and scariest work I've had to do right. up until this point. Now we're embarking on our next scary journey <laughs> of parenthood. You've got another Woo-hoo! job now. You know, uh, but it's the reminder that, um, you know, there's been hard stuff there's still going to be hard stuff uh but the beautiful part you know that I can say 20 years later is that through it all like I can see God's faithful hand so clearly through those 20 years through all the pain through the sadness it's such a beautiful thing and um that's how joy and sorrow work right um through the words spoken at my dad's funeral, through the way my stepdad came in our family, through the friendships I had growing up, the small group leaders I had growing up, uh, through meeting Zach, the way we met and our marriage, and being here at Mountain in this community that we love so much, that takes care of us so well, we love so much. Um, and all the small things in between. Like, God has been so, so faithful, so faithful. And, you know, as much as I, I would love to hug my dad, and as much as I'd love for him to hold this baby girl, you know, um, it's okay, you know, like it's okay. He can't and won't. And uh, I wouldn't, wouldn't play the cards differently. Hmm. Um, I can say that 20 years later, like I can say I, would, I wouldn't play the cards differently. I know I'm where I need to be. And a big piece of why I believe that so much is because of all the people that prayed surrendering prayers hmm. over my life. And the surrendering prayers I've had to pray through my life and continue, we'll, we'll continue, always continue to pray. It's We, we choose those prayers. Yeah. Say, hey Lord, mm. here's my sadness. Lord, here's my loneliness. Mm. Here's my anger. Here's my family. Here's the good stuff. Here's my job. Here's Here's this little girl. Like, it's all yours, Lord. Mm. <laughs> Protect it. Don't let me mess it up. Mm. And when I do mess it up, Lord, which I'm going to, you know, because we're, All human, it's okay. Lord, help me. Help me trust you again. Help me surrender again, Um, because that's all we can do. Mm -hmm. You know.
0: I love that phrase, the surrendering prayer. And it's hitting close to home. I mean, Hillary, you're talking about your firstborn, but I'm thinking about Carla and I because the, 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 family is such a, a, a good place to practice these surrendering prayers. Mm-hmm. The things we hold closest sometimes are our family. I'm thinking, gosh, we did that. We, when each kid was born, we tried to wrestle through that, like, oh, let it go. And uh, you know, when you send them to kindergarten, mm-hmm. when you send them to high school, when they go to college, it's like, and I just got bad news for you, it doesn't end. Mm-hmm. You know, Here's when I got a kid who's married now, I'm, you know, and another one is moving to California, and another one is graduating college, heading off to who knows where and and it's like life is a series of choices like Mm -hmm. like will I try to cling and hold on and do everything or am I going to surrender Mm -hmm. this into the hands of of God it's a series of surrendering prayers isn't it
1: yeah it really is and so it's just a reminder you know whatever trouble you were born into Hmm. because we all face trouble whatever trouble we've got uh, first and foremost like we got to just acknowledge like man it's not your fault and we're sorry and it hurts mm-hmm. and it's not fair and sometimes we want to blame God right we want to blame God but oh God's heart breaks too mm-hmm. God's mourning with us in our pain um, but trust this we can trust this please trust this with me you know that God is faithful in our pain mm-hmm. even in the midst of trouble yeah. God keeps his promises and God is faithful We see that in Moses' story we see that today. Uh, and just sometimes we just got to let go of whatever we're holding on so tightly to and say, okay, Jesus, here it is. Mm-hmm. We got to say, okay, Lord, it's in your hands because what better hands mm-hmm. is there to surrender our lives into, yeah. you know, and, and uh, one thing I just want to make sure we, we, I can't miss not saying this is just, if anyone has influence over a child, whether you are a parent or family member, teacher, coach, small group leader, whatever, your influence over that child is so important. Mm. Don't miss it. It mattered in my life. It matters in so many kids' Mm -hmm. life. You can model God's faithfulness. You Mm -hmm. can offer stability. You can answer the tough questions of do I matter? Am I safe? Am I loved? Yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Show that to kids. And we Mm -hmm. as a church just want to help you do that. That's why we uh, have great ministries of mountain kids and students and the work we do at the Epicenter. Check out our website for all the support and resources because it so matters how you uh, you know, love kids and show them that, yes, there's trouble in this world, but God is mm.
0: faithful. Don't miss those opportunities. You can see the passion coming out in someone who mm. cares about her own kid and also kids' ministry here. So, yeah. Well, as we try to wrap this up, friends, this first episode in the life of Moses, you know, his origin story, it's, it's a great reminder, I think, that no matter who you are, we all have some stuff from the past, from our childhood that was less than perfect. I mean, for Moses, it was all over. Lots of instability, right? You know, he's got two moms. He almost dies twice. He's passed around. He has to move to a strange place. He's given a a new name. You know, all all this stuff that's happening there. And you've got some stuff. I've got some stuff we all do, every one of us. You know, and I I don't know what trouble or challenges you're, you're facing. You know, it might be that you grew up in a home without any money or without any love or some kind of abuse or neglect or the things that you've touched on. There's some very real and raw stuff that we all have to face. We can all kind of say, I lost someone, this was bad, this was not perfect. We're all born into trouble Mm -hmm. in some way or other. But the part we want everyone to remember today in this beautiful story from Scripture is here, I think, in part. So we would know God hasn't forgotten you. Just as he had not forgotten Moses. Mm -hmm. Just as he heard the cries of the children of Israel, he hears yours. Even if those cries kind of come up, you know, 20 years later. Mm -hmm. And and that you're not, uh, whatever your childhood, you know, you're not a mistake. You're not an accident. You're a loved child of God. And that he has a purpose for you. And that he's faithful to see it through. And just as he put, all of the weird instability of Moses' upbringing together in a way that he he uses to become this beautiful deliverer of God's people. God has a plan for us. And it seems like he actually delights in working with us the more messed up we are Mm. from our childhood. And I think these are important truths to cling to. And, you know, the only way we get there, I think, is the same way that this story gets there. And that was that there was a woman who had an actual moment where she had to let go of that which she held most dear and surrendered into the hands of God. There, she physically had to put a baby in the river. And, and I just wonder, what, what do you need to put into the basket? What do you need to surrender to God? You know, that, that's the surrendering prayer that is part of a relationship with God. We're going to have an M.O. like Mo, like someone who really wants to have God in our life. We've got to wrestle with that. Like, what do you need to surrender today? And our best example is not Moses or Jacob, but it's Jesus. I mean, he's the one who said at the end of his life, here it is, Lord, into your hands, I commit my spirit, he said to the Father. Mm -hmm. And so may we all do the same. I mean, I cannot think of better hands to commit it to. So let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for hearing our prayers and caring about us. And so help us with trust in your faithfulness to surrender everything into your hands. Through Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen.